it's that time again. You're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. And then the prophet answers his own question. He says in the very same verse, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the mill. Get your Bible. Tell a friend about this study. Tell your pastor about this study. Let's get into God's Word, line upon line. Yes, we are up to Acts chapter 18. Last week in chapter 17, we met Paul in Thessalonica. He had to flee for his life. From there, he went to Berea. The Jews there were more noble than the ones in Thessalonica because they would search the word of God to see if these things were so. And that's certainly a great example for us. Just because we hear something we haven't heard before, it doesn't mean it's not true. But we need to search the scriptures and let the scriptures be our guide and understand that precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. So we have to go through both the Old and the New Testament. It all tells one story. From there, from Berea, that he went into Athens as he was waiting for his companions. And he then confronted the philosophers there. And we actually see then in Acts chapter 17, the Greek philosophers, these powerful intellects, begin to then infiltrate the church. And it's from this point that Christianity begins to change. And the traditional Christianity that we understand today when we think of Christianity, that it is not recognizable or would not be recognizable to the early church, which was entirely Hebraic. Uh, now we've got this Greco-Macedonian version or, or uh, Greco-Roman version of Christianity. And, and this is because of these Greek philosophers that came in and took leadership roles and, and, and came in with a real anti-Semitism. And so that's history that one would have to study. Be that it is may, let's, let's uh, open with a word of prayer and continue the story with Acts chapter 18. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before beginning the study today to appeal to you as always, Father, that you'll bless our study and that you'll bless our hearts, that we will have hearts that desire truth. And we just want to know what is the truth and that we will seek you and search your word 
And, and as the scripture says, let God be true and every man a liar. So we will not hold on to tra traditions. We will not uh, just hold on to men's opinions. Uh, we simply want to know, Father, what is true. And your word is truth. We praise you. We pray that you'll study, that you'll bless now our study of your word. And we ask this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So in Acts chapter 18, then, after uh, Paul is uh, very successful in, in engaging the Greek philosophers, the, the Stoics and the Epicureans, and uh, some of them thinking the resurrection is ridiculous, others wanting to hear more, and then philosophers beginning to cleave unto him and, and follow him. Now in verse 1 of chapter 18, it says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. So now we see how the Corinthians, so we saw how he came into Macedonia, we saw the, the church at Philippi, how it started, we see how the, Thessal the church at Thessalonica started, we see the Bereans, we now see uh, from Athens how the Greek philosophers came, came on board, and now he's in Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, and the reason that he came from Italy, it says, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. And so you can see how the government can just turn and um, pass these edicts where persecuted people just have to leave. And so in this case, the Jews just had to depart from Rome. And so this man, Aquila, and his wife Priscilla came to Corinth, and this is where Paul met them, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them, and wrought, and for, for by their occupation, they were tent makers. So he leaves uh, Rome, he comes to Corinth, and he meets Paul, and gets to know Paul, and Paul gets to know him, because they were both tent makers. And so he goes on to say, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So notice this again, uh, for those of us who believe that, you know, well, Christians should worship on Sunday. The early church did not worship on Sunday. There is nothing in the Bible that authorizes the worship of God on Sunday. From the very beginning, from the very creation, in fact, in Genesis, if we read the Genesis story carefully, the Sabbath was established as holy time by God. And all of his people, all of the holy people, have observed the Sabbath always, all the time. And Christ observed the Sabbath. And the early church observed the Sabbath. And here now we see the apostle observing the Sabbath and reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath. And notice this, again, line upon line, like that means we have to read each line carefully. This is the apostle to the Gentiles. He is in Corinth, and he is in the synagogue every Sabbath. And who is he persuading? The Jews and the Greeks. What the, what the scripture does not say is that on Sabbath he was persuading the Jews, and on Sundays he was persuading the Greeks. We don't have the introduction of Sunday worship until the Greek philosophers take over the religion, and then they introduce these practices that have nothing to do with the foundational covenant from the scriptures. So here's the apostle to the Gentiles reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuading the Jews and the Greeks and when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Messiah. So he wanted them to understand this is the Messiah. 
And he's pressed and he's testifying this to the Jews. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go unto the Gentiles. And so this is, if, we, if we're familiar with the passage in Ezekiel 33, where God says, look, son of man, when I set up a watchman, that that watchman, when he sees the sword coming, when he sees the sword on the land, his job is to cry out and warn the people. And when the sword comes and slays those people, then that's fine. That's, that's on their head. They were warned and they didn't take the warning. But if the watchman doesn't warn and the sword comes and slays the people, not only will the people be slain, but their blood he'll require at the watchman's hand. So certainly Paul is making clear to them, look, you've been warned. And when the sword comes on the land, your blood is on your own head. But also in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 5, when Nehemiah was restoring Jerusalem as the governor and, and saw the corruption that had taken place in Jerusalem, in, in, in verse 12 of chapter 5, he gets these Jews that were oppressing their fellow Jews to, to vow an oath to stop doing this. And then in verse 12, it says, Then said they, We will restore them and will require nothing of them. So will we do as you say. Then I called, and Nehemiah says, Then I called the priests, and I took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. And then this verse in verse 13, Also I shook my lap, or I shook my clothing, my raiment, and said, So God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performs not this promise. Even thus be he shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said, Amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did according to this promise. So uh, here when the apostle shakes his clothing and says, Your blood be upon your own heads, he could be alluding, and certainly these men who are very familiar with the scriptures would see the allusion both to Ezekiel and the watchman and the blood being on their own heads, but also to Nehemiah when he was there to restore Jerusalem and stop the betrayal of Jews against Jews. So he now says, from now on, I'm going unto the Gentiles, and he's speaking to the Jews in, in, in Corinth. And he departed there and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that had worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. So it was, sounds like it was actually attached to the synagogue uh, so that he could be, you know, basically on call and, and able to fully serve uh, the people of God in the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. This is how powerful Paul's disputes were with the Jews and how powerful his logic was and how uh, powerful he was in the scriptures that he knew the scriptures and he was able to reason from the scriptures. And here the chief ruler of the synagogue, in listening to this dispute back and forth and listening to what Paul has to say about the scriptures and how Jesus is the Christ, the chief ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Very, very effective. And in fact, in when the Corinthian church begins now, in the letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 4, uh, so it says here that many believed and were baptized, but in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 14, uh, Paul writes to them and says, I thank God that I baptized none of you 
but Crispus and Gaius. So this congregation is going to become very contentious, and there's a lot of competition and, and, and rivalry within the congregation. And Paul is saying, I'm grateful that I didn't baptize any of you, because then there would be a whole faction uh, based upon Paul, sort of the Pauline faction. And he's saying, I'm glad, I, you know, I, I baptized Crispus and I baptized Gaius, but I didn't baptize anybody else, and I'm really glad. I thank God about that. So in any case, here in chapter 18 of verse 8 uh, of Acts, uh, the chief ruler Crispus is converted, all his house is converted, and many of the Corinthians are converted. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, saying, Be not, be not afraid, but speak. Don't be afraid, speak. And hold not your peace. And this is God to Paul, but certainly this is a great message for every Christian today. Christianity is under attack. The global elite have an agenda to wipe out Christianity. And people are afraid to speak if you're a Christian, if you're any other faith. Even to the point of slaughtering people openly, you get a free pass. You can speak freely. But the Christian who only wants that all men should have a free conscience and should be free to worship God, or not, but at least have the gospel proclaimed to them, the Christian does not get a free pass. The Christian is not allowed to speak. And Christians today, we have to decide, do we stand for God, or are we afraid of men? It should be very, very clear from reading the scriptures that we must speak the truth boldly, and we must stand up for what we believe in, and be willing to die for what we believe in, if need be. If need be. And so Paul here is told by God, don't be afraid, speak, and do not hold your peace. They're going to try to intimidate you, just as they're trying to intimidate us today, to hold our peace, to be quiet, to go in the corner. You know, to, and in fact, they, they've all come out of the closet, and they're forcing Christians to get in the closet. There's so much space in the closet now, because nobody's in there. Everybody's out. Every, every perversion is out, in the open. And now Christians must go in the closet. And, and, and tremble in the closet. No way. No way. We speak the truth boldly. And we do not hold our peace. And God says, For I am with you, and no man shall set on you to hurt you. For I have much people in this city. So Paul now is a chosen vessel. He has incredible skills and ability and knowledge. He was able to meet with the Greek philosophers and, and reason with them from their poetry, from Greek poetry. Uh, you can think of the, the Odyssey and the Iliad. These are really deep, thick poetry books. Uh, he was familiar with them and could talk to them and talk to them about their philosophy. At the same time, he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he can sit with any Hebrew and reason from the scriptures, toe to toe. In, in fact, he, he, he has more knowledge than they do. And, and he can speak Greek and he can speak Aramaic and he can speak Hebrew. And so he has a very special work that he has to do for God and take this gospel uh, to the Gentiles. And, and he's a Roman citizen as well. So he's free to travel all through the Roman Empire. So God is saying, don't worry. You speak, I'm with you. No man's going to set on you to hurt you. Now, this is not necessarily going to be the case for us. Nor was it the case for the other apostles. Uh, and even, even Paul in the end would be, would be killed. But there was a time where God's saying, don't worry. I'm with you. You've got to preach this gospel. Uh, we are the same. However... God did say he wants us to be willing to be martyrs and that we must know ahead of time what's coming upon the Christian church and, and, and not to fear those 
that the worst they can do is to kill you. And after they've done that, there's nothing else they can do. But we need to fear him who, after, he's, after someone has killed us, he can bring us back to life. And then we're subject to his judgment. And so we, uh, all Christians, must have this boldness based in the confidence and the truth of God's word. We must have this boldness to preach the truth. And here in verse 11 he says, And he continued there a year and six months, so another 18 months, teaching the word of God among them. So God says, don't be afraid, speak up. And that's what he did for the next 18 months. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul. And, and we'll always see this, that people will uh, just you know, cry out and, and, and riot and, and just create all kinds of problems now. The same thing's happening here. Same thing happening today as was happening here 2,000 years ago. So the Jews made an insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. So they want the legal system now to take care of him. They would love to see him, him imprisoned. They would love to see him executed. They don't necessarily want to do it. They want the legal system to do it. And so they bring him to the judgment seat saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. So this is the charge. He's, he's, he's persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, so Paul's about to defend himself and say, I am not telling them to worship God contrary to the law. In fact, quite the opposite is true. You bring me the law and I will show you how Jesus Christ fulfills everything that's written in the law. And that by accepting Christ as Messiah, we are actually worshiping God according to the law. So Paul's ready. And so when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O you Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. So, so yes, okay, you know, as, as the uh, governor here, as the, as the deputy, if this is a, a, a matter that there's some moral wrong taking place, then I would have to step in. So reason would that I would have to listen to you and do something about this. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look you to it. For I will be no judge of such matters. This is none of my business. I couldn't care less. You've got some kind of Jewish problem and the Torah and your writings and your laws and there's something you're upset about within your community. Sort it out yourselves. Don't bring this nonsense to me. I couldn't care less. And he drove them from the judgment seat. So just get lost. It's like you're in a courtroom and the, the judge listens to the case. And this is this is not this is ridiculous. Stop wasting the court's time. Get out. And then you would have the security officers just throw the people out of the courtroom. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue. So we read earlier that Crispus was the chief ruler of the synagogue, but he became a Christian. So now that Crispus has been replaced as the chief ruler of the synagogue by Sosthenes. So now we see Sosthenes as the chief ruler of the synagogue. And so he's the chief ruler. And it says the Greeks, so they would have been at the judgment seat listening to this. And then they would hear the deputy just dismiss the case. And so they beat Sosthenes before the judgment seat. 
and Gallio cared for none of those things. So again, as the deputy, this is a disorder. This is a bit of a riot. Uh, he should care, but he probably hates the Jews. And he's happy to see the chief ruler beaten up by the Greeks. And so he's not, act, he's not acting in any way to enforce the Roman law. And it's interesting here we see Sosthenes in verse 17. And again, when the Corinthian church is established now, and we see, so Crispus was the chief ruler of the Jews. He became a Christian. But in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 1, we see Paul write, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. So we don't know if this is the same Sosthenes. It, it could be that, you know, he became the chief ruler. He was beaten up by the Greeks. And he's thinking, what is all this about? And maybe he just looked into this and really listened to what Paul had to say, and he converted What's also possible is it, it could be another Sosthenes, but just interesting that uh, we see Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, convert, and then we see a man called Sosthenes, who also became a Christian. Maybe it is also this Sosthenes. In verse 18 then, and Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while. So he was there for 18 months before he was brought to the deputy. This whole thing happened. Sosthenes was beaten up by the Greeks. And then he stayed even after that, yet a good while. And then took his leave of the brethren. So he really would have established the church there in Corinth. And then he took his leave of the brethren and sailed from there into Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. So the whole time, Paul is preaching during the day. He's making tents at night. That was his occupation. He would have been with Priscilla and Aquila getting to know them, becoming fond of each other, supporting each other in this ministry. And now it's time for Paul to leave from Corinth, and he's going to go to Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila go with him. And then it says, having shorn his head in Sancria, for he had a vow. So Paul is still a Jew. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. He is certain that there are uh, requirements that while you're a Jew, you can carry out these requirements. He does not want to burden the Gentiles with these requirements, the, the, the ceremonial laws. And then certainly circumcision wasn't necessary for the Gentiles to go through these rituals. But that doesn't mean that he threw away his Jewishness. And so he had vowed a vow that caused him to shave his head. And if we look in the Torah, in number six, we see this vow. That, that if a man takes this vow, he has to sh shave his head. In, in Numbers 6 and verse 1, Moses writes, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine, or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation, listen to this, there shall no razor come upon his head, until the days be fulfilled, in which he separates himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy, and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. And I know the, the Rastafarians will look at this and believe that 
they must never let the uh, razors touch their head, and so they have this vow that they make, and they grow their hair, and they never cut it. But the scripture actually doesn't say that. It says, during the days of the vow of the separation, there shall no razor come upon his head, meaning, at the end of the vow, then you shave your head. So, so it's very opposite of what Rastafarians teach, that you mustn't shave your head. It's in fact saying, you must shave your head. So it's just during the, during, this, during the separation, you don't shave your head. But afterwards, you do. And that's from God. All the days of the vow of his separation shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled, in the which he separates himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. So this is the vow that Paul must have taken, this Nazarite vow, to separate himself to God and have the extra fasting and focused time. And now this vow had come to an end. And so he's ready now to uh, shave his head. And so it says that having shorn his head in Sanquia, for he had, he had a vow. Then we come now to verse 19. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. So he left them in Ephesus. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And again, that word reason, dialogamon, which really means to dispute. It means to really get into it and, and, and reason fully and dispute with them and show them where they're wrong and show them that Christ is the Messiah from the scriptures. So he's in there in the synagogue reasoning with the Jews. And we know his custom was to do this each Sabbath, wherever he goes. When they desired him to, to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. So, so they were enjoying this dispute and, and hearing and, and going into this and like, stay with us longer. But he said no. But bade them farewell, saying, listen to this, listen to this. I must by all means keep this feast that comes in Jerusalem. But I will return again unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. So Paul is still keeping the holy days. And it seems to me, we don't know which feast this is necessarily, but I think Acts chapter 20 gives us a clue that he's trying to get to Ephesus for the feast. And in verse 16 of Acts chapter 20, it says, For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus, because he would not spend time in Asia. For he hurried, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. So the whole church we saw on the day of Pentecost, that Acts 2, it opened up with them all together in one accord. There was no dispute. There, nobody was saying, well, you know, Christ has died now, so we really don't need to be keeping the Feast of Pentecost. We don't need to be keeping Passover. In fact, the only way you can keep Pentecost is if you keep Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread, because Pentecost is a calculated feast. Pente, meaning 50, and cost count. So in the Greek, it means to count to 50. In the Hebrew, they would call this the Feast of Weeks because you count seven weeks plus a day. So the Feast of Weeks or Feast of Pentecost, you can't keep this feast unless you keep the Days of Unleavened Bread and the Passover because it's a calculated feast. You need to know, and then you, you can't keep it unless you keep the Sabbath because you have to observe the Sabbath that falls during the Days of Unleavened Bread that evening, the evening of the Sabbath that falls during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that comes after the Passover, falls during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that Sabbath night is when you begin the count. 
and you count seven Sabbaths, so now you have to be observing the Sabbath for seven weeks. You don't count seven Sundays. You observe the Sabbath for seven weeks plus a day. So Pentecost always falls on a Sunday. Pentecost always falls on the first day of the week. And many times uh, people will quote scriptures in the, in, the, in the New Testament that appears like the church is observing the first day of the week. But if you study it carefully, it's, it's Pentecost. It's not a habit of every Sunday we, we worship on Sundays. The church worshiped on Sabbath, the holy time. And then they calculated Pentecost. And the only way you can calculate Pentecost is if you're keeping the weekly Sabbath and if you're observing Passover and Unleavened Bread. So clearly the church was observing these holy days. And Paul is trying to get to Jerusalem for Pentecost. So I think that's what he means here in verse 21 of Acts 18, when he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that comes in Jerusalem. So he's counting towards Pentecost, and he's trying to get there in time. But he says, I will return again to you if God wills. And then he sailed from Ephesus. And then we see in Acts 20 that he went by Ephesus because he's trying to get to Jerusalem. Verse 22. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent time there, he departed and went all over the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So here we see now the early church, the Galatian congregation, also the Phrygians, although there's no letter to the Phrygians, there's a congregation there as well. And he's strengthening the brethren, strengthening all the disciples. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, and an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. This is quite a combination. To be eloquent, so he's articulate, but also he's mighty in the scriptures. So he knows what he's talking about. He's not talking garbage. He's talking scripture. And he's eloquent. He says, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. So he came to understand the Lord, the way of the Lord. We, we call it Christianity today. So he was instructed in, in this way. And being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So he didn't have the full story. But he accepted John's ministry, he repented under John's ministry, and, and he knew of, of the baptism of John, but that's it. And he began, listen, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, boldly. God's people, when we have the truth, we speak boldly. And so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So you can imagine how unhappy these Jews were and these rulers of the Jews were and and Apollos didn't care he's not apologizing he is speaking the word of God boldly right in the synagogue whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard so they're listening to him which means they're in the synagogue as well in order to hear what he's preaching so when they hear what he's preaching they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly so he had an element of the word of God. He had an element of, the, of, of understanding, but it was incomplete. He was mighty in the scriptures, but Aquila and Priscilla were mightier. 
And it's very important that we highlight Priscilla in this passage, because there's a lot of Christians that believe that women shouldn't talk. And the scripture does not say that. It, that's a misunderstanding of what the scripture is teaching. And, and women are, are men, men believe that women have to be submissive to all men in the church. The scripture doesn't say that. Women must be submissive to their own husbands. And every time the scripture speaks about that, it makes it very clear to your own husbands. But here, this woman, with her husband, has a far better grasp of the truth than this man, who is mighty in the scriptures and a very eloquent man, a very powerful teacher. He has to be taught by Priscilla and by Aquila. And so they teach him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing, listen, by the scriptures, that Jesus was Christ. So this is very, very powerful here. So he, he's speaking boldly in the synagogue, but Aquila and Priscilla teach him more perfectly the way of God. And then when he goes now, the brethren write, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he came, he helped them much because he had this better understanding now, which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced and again, this is, this is disputing, refuting them. They have a certain understanding of the scriptures. They're saying, no, you don't understand the scripture properly. Turn here. Let's go to the Psalms. Let's go to Deuteronomy. Let's go into Isaiah. Let's look at what Jeremiah is saying. And, and listen to how Moses set this up in the first place. And he's showing them from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And he, he did this publicly because of his boldness and by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. And so we need to do this. Uh, any, any Christians that reject the Old Testament, this is, you know, the, the sort of New Testament uh, Christians do not have a proper understanding of Christ. We, we need to show them the way of God more perfectly. You know, uh, Apollos only had the understanding of the, the baptism of John. And, and, and Aquila and Priscilla had to show him more perfectly the way of God. Well, if we don't understand the Old Testament, we don't understand that the scriptures are written in such a way that you have to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. And you need to search the scriptures here a little, there a little, because line is upon line and precept upon precept. You can't just precept meaning instructions. You can't just give an instruction in one place. We have to put the whole thing together, put all the word of God together to understand it more perfectly. So this is Acts chapter 18. We'll finish here, and God willing, next week we'll continue with Acts chapter 19. God bless.